Hi, listeners. Welcome to the Grief Out Loud podcast produced by the Dougie Center for Grieving Children. I'm Janita Cristofero and wanted to give you just a little heads up as you listen to this episode, you'll be hearing references to our old name, which was Dear Ducky. So just so you don't get too confused, you're listening to the right podcast and we look forward to bringing you even more great content under the Grief Out Loud name. Thanks for joining us. Hi listeners, just a quick note that we're still experimenting with our recording technology. So if you hear the recording style and quality jump around a little bit, that's what's going on. We hope you'll just be patient with us as we figure out the best way to capture people who are calling in from around the country and hopefully one day across the globe to share with us their stories and their insights. Thanks. Hello, and welcome to the Dear Dougie podcast produced by the Dougie Center for Grieving Children. I'm Jana DeCristofero, and thank you for tuning in today. This podcast is meant to open up the often avoided conversation about grief. While we will all experience loss during our lives, when it occurs, most of us don't know what to do, how to feel, or even how to talk about it. So whether you're grieving a loss or wanting to support someone who is, we hope these podcast conversations lead to a better understanding of grief and also provide you with some ideas and inspiration for how to show up for yourself and those you care about. A quick search for the term comfort food yields sites with over 100 recipes for mac and cheese, fried chicken, biscuits, and basically everything except kale. If you ask grieving families what people deliver to their house after a death, you'll hear a litany of meatloaf, hot dishes, lasagna, cookies, and brownies. It's tradition and it's habit. In today's episode, we dive into the topic of comfort food and grief in the hopes of finding out what foods are actually comforting, what foods and meals will best support our physical bodies as they work to navigate the hailstorm of emotions and thoughts that come with grief. And since I am no cook, I basically get by on steamed broccoli, anything in the dairy category, and decaf coffee with chocolate in it, I had to reach out for some expert guidance. My guest today is Dr. Drew Ramsey, a psychiatrist, author, farmer, and in complete personal disclosure, my best friend from 18 months to age four. Back in the day, our moms were classic health food people of the 1970s, so our time together was filled with cream cheese and jelly sandwiches, malted milk tablets for dessert, and dried bananas. Welcome, Drew. Hey, Jenna. Jenna Banana, as I used to call you back in the day. It's great to be uh, great to be on your podcast. And it's, uh, I'm very excited to talk about this subject, as I think it's very very important and neglected one. I'm so excited for us to have this conversation today. Drew is one of psychiatry's leading proponents of using dietary change to help balance mood, sharpen brain function, and improve mental health. He's an assistant clinical professor of psychiatry at Columbia University College of Physicians and Surgeons, and he also has an active clinical practice in New York City. For those of you out there who are interested in learning more about Drew's work and also uh, digging into some really great recipes, he is the co-author and author of three amazing books. His first book was The Happiness Diet, which is a nutritional prescription for a sharp brain, balanced mood, and lean, energized body. He also co-authored a cookbook called Fifty Shades of Kale, and his most recent recent work is Eat Complete, the 21 nutrients that fuel brain power, boost weight loss, and transform your health. And while, Drew, you don't focus specifically on grief, your work on how food does and doesn't support our emotional health seems like such a great fit for a conversation on what nutrients can be helpful for both adults and children in grief. Drew, I'd love to start with a question I've wondered about ever since I began working with grieving families. Why is it that when we experience grief or any other kind of intense stress, many of us lose our appetite? Or when we do try to eat, food seems to have no taste. Can you tell us a little bit about what's going on in there? Well, oftentimes in in, uh, response to grief and sudden loss, 
there is a, a, a numbing, right, a, the, the, our response to the trauma uh, so often, in many different types of trauma, is to really kind of turn down the volume on everything, right? We don't, we're feeling so much very intensely and so much in a kind of raw way and in an overwhelming way that um, we kind of turn down all of our senses. So in those states, it's very hard to have hedonistic or pleasurable experiences. So that's one of the reasons that we don't tend to take pleasure in cooking and preparing a great meal during periods of grief and, and then, you know, revel in the flavor of it because we're just feeling so disoriented and sad and kind of, you know, sort of numbed out. So we sort of dial back everything to just purely surviving, just getting through the day. I think so. And I think that's where I really like the list you gave earlier, right, of, of what happens when there is a loss of the types of foods that show up, which, you know, tend to be very heavy in carbohydrates. Um, I think also for a reason, right, those list of comfort foods you gave, we think of them as comforting because they're very satiating. Oftentimes they have a lot of meaning for us uh, culturally or from, you know, from our family of origin. And we revert back to those dishes. I mean, you know, Dan, if I asked you, since you knew me when I was young, to guess my favorite meal was spaghetti and meatballs, right? I think you'd probably get close. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so certainly I'll have more sautéed kale on there, but for me that's a very, you know, comforting meal and what I often will revert towards during times of stress. So, during so it's stress kind of a combination of the physical and also like the biological craving for those foods and also the social learned response. I think it's all of those things with food. I mean, I think our, one of the things is, this, you know, so I'm a general psychiatrist, but I got interested in food really for two reasons. One is that there's just been all this data thinking, uh, relating how our food relates to our mental health and how it, um, it our what's called dietary pattern, right, which is exactly what you think it is, or the pattern of what we eat, uh, how that really predicts our risk of things like major depressive disorder and dementia and even anxiety disorders. So certainly there's that strong biological component that, you know, if you don't eat foods that have vitamin B12, you're going to be depressed, and that's going to make any sort of trauma like a loss or a grieving process much worse, much harder to deal with. Same thing if you're iron deficient. I mean, anyone who's listening who's been iron deficient, that's just a very hard spot to be in because you have no energy, your thoughts are super cloudy because you're you know, basically your brain is missing an essential nutrient for focus and happiness and, and, and the energy that, you know, we need. And, and I think about this in terms of not just like, let's make your brain happy, but like, let's make your brain resilient, right? That we all know being a human is tough. We are all kind of, all have our fragilities and our challenges. And I, I really encourage people to think about food as really armoring up their brain in some way of having a really, you know, just as we train our bodies, you know, have our minds very much trained and nourished in a way that we can withstand stressors like loss. Do you have a sense of top foods you would recommend? Because I'm thinking about grieving families and how it's like one more thing to have to deal with. We don't want to overwhelm people because at the end of the day, especially if you think about a family in grief, you know, the last thing we want folks to do is to feel badly about eating. I think it does get to a question, especially for those of us who are supporting families who are grieving, how can we up the nutrient density of those dishes? So uh, one of the favorite dishes in our house is a kale mac and cheese or a green, call it a lazy green mac and cheese. Uh, and it's in Eat Complete. It's really a very, you know, it's a very simple dish. It's mac and cheese with a couple of cups of kale that's been through 
through a food processor, right? So finely chopped kale. Um, same thing with the meatloaf, right? For families who are looking for a meatloaf, you can do a meatloaf with grass-fed beef or bison and add in some extra onions and veggies and do that with, you know, a lot of sautéed broccoli and, and some, you know, instead of mashed potatoes, maybe sweet potatoes. And that dish is going to have much more nutrient density and, and a much greater health benefit for people than, you know, your kind of typical meatloaf, right? And it seems like not so it, too shocking for kids, right? Because the kale is sort of snuck in there through the food processor, so it's not being yeah, exactly. with vegetables. I mean, you're not going to, it's hard to get kids to eat a plate of sautéed kale. It's easy to get kids to eat a plate of kale chips and, and a kale smoothie or even kale pesto. Or one of the favorite ones in our house is kaolinase, which is a homemade mayonnaise, or you can just use actually any type of mayo, even vegan mayo, and just blend up lots of kale, garlic, lemon zest, and lemon juice. And so that, that's a kind of example, I think, of a way where you're adding those plants mainly, but often seafood as well, into dishes in a way that really ups the nutrient density. And, and you ask kind of what are the foods and what are the, I guess, you know, nutrients we're looking for. And the whole goal really of you complete is to say, well, here are the important nutrients. What are the foods that have the most of those? Let's make the base or a core set of foods for you that you like that have those nutrients. So I have my little rhyme, which is seafood greens, nuts and beans, and a little dark <laughs> chocolate, because I think that kind of hits the food categories, because as much as I am like kind of a kale maniac, and, and everybody should celebrate National Kale Day with us um, next October, it'll be our fifth annual National Kale Day, just put that plug, you can learn more at nationalkaleday.org, <laughs> so Kale Day is a lot of fun, but you know, it's not just kale, it's what does that food category tell you, right, because what kale really teaches us is about nutrient density, and that's just a, a kind of way of putting calories in context, that so many people kind of think about calories, and calories are a pretty useless metric because think about it like a kale salad and a can of soda. They have the same number of calories, right? but nutrient density is the idea that with that can of soda, you get nothing good. You just get sugar, right? Nothing that's beneficial for your health. With the kale salad, I mean, for 140 calories of kale, you're getting like 2,000% of your daily vitamin K. You're getting 800% of your vitamin A. You're getting... 400% of your vitamin C, you're getting lots of fiber, folate, phytonutrients, you get more absorbable calcium in that than three cartons of milk, right? So that's nutrient density, same number of calories as a can of soda, but gosh, you get all of those nutrients. Mm -hmm. And so looking for those food categories where you have a lot of nutrient density, lots of nutrients per calorie, and those are going to be the leafy greens, small seafood, so this is going to be things like anchovies, which lots of fun ways to do those besides pizza folks, like Think about anchovy vinaigrette dressing or a real Caesar salad dressing or um, one of my favorite ways in the fall now to use anchovies is with like a really fun pasta where, you know, it's some anchovies and garlic and onion and maybe some capers and a little white wine, lots of other veggies usually, maybe some raisins to offset the saltiness of the anchovy. So that could be our lasagna replacement is anchovy pasta with raisins. Anchovy pasta, I mean, that's going to be a challenge, but maybe. Um, uh, I certainly get the kids to eat some anchovy dressing sometimes, uh, but also a great one for kids is a wild salmon, right, where you take a wild salmon and you can put anything on it from tartar sauce to pesto, absolutely amazing brain food. And so, you know, it's not that we want to take away everybody's meatloaf, but that um, as you're caring for families, thinking about these really high-yield nutrients, right, the long-chain omega-3 fats, which you really only find in the seafood, the phytonutrients, which are these kind of magic molecules that you find in the rainbow vegetables, where 
we want people to kind of upgrade that salad to see more colors in it. Um, the leafy greens, where you just you know, think about all the different places you can put those in your diet, from you know, kale and eggs in the morning to a uh, arugula pesto to a potato leek soup. Like there's all kinds of ways to use leafy greens. Or my new um, favorite is dandelion. That's the one I've been eating. So good for you, and and um, really fun, wild, easy. You know, if you have a yard, easy to find. <laughs> um, and very, very beans is the too. other one. Greens yeah, and beans. seafood greens, nuts and beans. So so nuts. nuts because nuts have a lot of vitamin E and lots of minerals in general. So the top nuts I kind of recommend are people to look for cashews, almonds, walnuts, and then seeds, pepitas, pumpkin seeds. You'll find those in our cabinet at all times. Um, cashews are fairly high in iron. Almonds, amazing source of vitamin E. Walnuts, very good source of the shorter chain omega-3 fat, ALA, and, and all of the nuts, good source of very healthy fat, monounsaturated fats, as well as a good amount of protein. And then beans. Beans are just one of those like amazing sleeper food, beans and legumes. So red beans, black beans, lentils, just again, having those be a really core food in your diet, something you're getting every week, if not several times a week. And, and that's simple to do. Um, so one, one of the nice changes we're seeing in the fast food environment, right? You can go to Chipotle, and for eight bucks, you can get you know brown rice and uh, black beans and lots of veggies and guacamole and salsa and you know have a really really healthy plate of food. Um, so, so these things are accessible good. even when people are needing to eat out or grab something really quick. And, and also the thing with beans that I like is they're super economical and they feed a crowd. You know, I think it's like two or three bucks a pound for in most places for organic small red beans. And then the lentils are lentils are one of the top sources of folate, which is vitamin B9, which is very important for our nervous system in general. And, and I like the lentils because they're a little faster than beans, um, mm. and, and also just you know so easy. Buy buy a pound of lentils. I mean, anybody listening, buy a pound of lentils. I I go with the green or the black for a soup because or the French lentils are sometimes called just because they hold up a little better. You know, chop up an onion carrot, celery, drop it in the crock pot with some water, come back six, seven hours later, and you have five hours later, you have a perfect lentil soup, right? So, mm-hmm. again, getting away, I think, from this myth that sometimes people have that eating healthy costs too much or that it's too complicated, which, you know, isn't true. It can just be a change in, in the mindset. You know, you mentioned the nervous system, and so often people equate grief with sadness, depression, sort of the, the low mood, low energy, and the parts about grief that can often be surprising for people is how activating for the nervous system it can be. People having trouble sleeping, having a lot of worry, concern, anxiety, vigilance. Are there particular foods or combinations that you would recommend to help with that part of grief? I think it's a really important uh, note, Jana, right, that we think about grief as sadness and and. You know, besides my food work, I'm a full-time psychotherapist, and so I sit with a lot of people in the midst of horrible grief, right? You know, everything from suicide to cancer to the things that we lose people to. And and I've always thought that something about grief that's really tricky for people is that it's not linear, right? This idea that unlike a lot of our things in uh, in our emotional life, which maybe can follow a somewhat linear or at least more predictable pattern, I find that grief is very unpredictable. And so what you just mentioned, where People expect sadness, but they end up kind of activated, right, where there's a lot of sometimes um, irritability or even aggression, a lot of sleeplessness, just a lot of angry feelings. So in, in ter- besides 
talking about those, which which uh, I find is almost always helpful. The foods that I think are important for those is really actually paying attention kind of on the other side of what that type of feeling state drives us to eat, right? Where I think it's really asking people to be very aware that well, at least when I get in that state and a lot of my patients get in that state, that's what drives us towards things like too much alcohol or eating to the point where you're so full that it's a little uncomfortable, right? Or you know, putting away a whole pizza where you're really trying to almost like deal with some of the pain um, through a, a type of satiation. And, it, and, and so one is asking people just to really be mindful of that and, and to care for yourself in those states that, you know, of course, it's, it's fine to have some mac and cheese or some meatloaf, as we were saying earlier, but to really be mindful of the desire to kind of overeat. The calming foods that I tend to really steer people towards, are, are, I guess some of them are, are kind of a little surprising, like citrus, for example. Citrus has a, a bunch of molecules in it that are very calming, and so it's where I would want people, you know, I don't think this is going to, like, take away intense anger and make you sleep perfectly, but things like more lemon zest, right, or even baking with lemons or an eat complete. There's a, there's a chicken with anchovies and lemons, where those zest, the molecules in the zest, they actually bind to some of the same receptors as, um, as uh, actually they bind to the opioid receptors, right? It's not like taking an opioid, but it sort of tickles that same part of your brain that's kind of soothing and calming. The other tips that I have for people, especially around sleep and sleep hygiene, revolve around like magnesium and herbal teas that, you know, some of the herbal teas are really, really helpful in terms of helping people sleep, things like chamomile and skullcap, um, even kava. And then sometimes, um, I'm not huge on supplements. I like people to get stuff from food, but sometimes a little bit of magnesium or magnesium powder in a drink can help people just kind of settle down at night looking for, you know, like one to 200 milligrams of that. Because it can and be hard to a, get enough magnesium from yeah, food magnesium, you, Yeah, you get it in your greens and beans, but a lot of these um, things you're taking a little bit, like a little bit, you know, a teaspoon of a magnesium powder has, you know, it kind of has your daily recommended allowance or close to it just in one little bit. And so magnesium is kind of just a naturally calming thing for our nervous system. So especially with people who don't have the best diet, you know, sometimes a little bit of a magnesium supplement can help. Certainly melatonin can help with sleep. One to three milligrams is what we usually have people take. And and the whole idea is that you are going to have some anxiety and some sleep disturbance. And the first way you want to deal with that is through better sleep hygiene. You know, the number one tip around that is exercise, right? If you vigorously exercise or walk or move your body, you're just more likely to have a good night's sleep. And that's also really also very good for discharging some of that activation mm-hmm. and agitation that happens with loss. Which is why the kids at the Dougie Center go to our volcano room so they can discharge some yeah, of that energy right? in their bodies for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's also I think where you want to think about that as your ally, really, where you want to discharge in that way, right? Because it, it, it allows some of those emotions to mobilize, as we say, and, and get out. And that sometimes helps really reduce some of that worry at night. You know, other foods that I just recommend when people are struggling is to always do what we call a brain food swap. So, you know, if you love ice cream and that's your thing every night and when you're upset you eat a lot of ice cream, you know, can you swap that out for like a full-fat yogurt with um, berries and nuts? And so in that swap, what you're seeing is we're reducing sugar, we're increasing plants, we're increasing fiber, we're increasing nutrient density. So in the ice cream where you just kind of get sugar and milk, 
right? Mm-hmm. We're now getting you're getting some sugar and some milk products, sure, but you're also getting all of these plants and, and what we call rainbows, right? The variety of colors and plants. So it's looking for those, I think, swaps when you're agitated of, you know, how can you make it just a little bit a little bit better for you in the long term. What I love about this conversation and love about this concept is so often people come to the Dougie Center or they call in and grief occurs and they feel totally lost. Like, I don't know what to do. All of this feels really out of my control and it's so unpredictable. And then looking at food and things that we can cook for ourselves and buy for ourselves or buy for people we're supporting is actually something we can do, something you can have a little bit of agency in. That's why I love it as a mental health tool in general, is there's so many of my interventions, right, my uh, my interpretations about your mom, I guess not your mom, Janet, because I love your mother, but uh, <laughs> my, my, my interpreter, Phyllis, you're, you're, you're my fave. But, right, psychotherapy work, which is very hard, as everyone knows, exploring and understanding grief, very hard work, right? Taking a medication takes a while to work. Also, you know, with some conflict for a lot of people, What I love about food as an intervention is you're going to have a meal within a few hours of listening to this podcast. Can you look at that meal as brain fuel? And can you make some choices that add more color to your plate, put more plants on your plate? Can you use food for those non-nutrition purposes of food, like that food brings us together and food's how we care about each other and nourish each other? And that all of those ways that we can engage with food are very much under our control. And, it, and it's, a, it's a, a very important and, I think, neglected part of our mental health. All of those mm-hmm. aspects, I think, are part of the brain-food equation, whereas we get people engaging with their food, really engaging in self-care, which is the notion that in the midst of grief, you are in the midst of a trauma and a challenge to your nervous system and a challenge to you as a person emotionally, and that in that state is when it's most important for us to care for ourselves. And that food really, in terms of our environmental factors that we can control, sometimes it feels we can't control food, but really we can. We, we have incredible agency in, in, the foods, in the foods that we consume and, and purchase and support and, and at every income level. So mainly I just want people to hear encouragement to use food to help themselves as they're mending from loss. We try and put out some good free content on my website, DrewRamseyMD.com. I'm also always trying to post delicious-looking things and ideas about mental health and food on my Facebook page, uh, which is also DrewRamseyMD. Everything's DrewRamseyMD, Instagram, Twitter. So if folks listening want to engage, please do. And if you have questions or if you have experiences or if there's something you've eaten that's really helped you with grief, um, I'm always curious to hear about that and to help spread the word to uh, to help other folks. Well, thank you so much, Drew, for taking time out of your Friday to join us. It's so great to hear the work that you're doing in the world and to find out how much it overlaps with the work that we're doing at the Dougie Center. Thank you so much. My pleasure, Jenna. You keep uh, you keep feeding everybody brain food and helping them with uh, what is one of the inevitable parts and difficult parts of being human, which is loss. You know, what I love about your center and your work is that it encourages and facilitates people engaging with that as opposed to uh, turning away from it. And, and my experience with grief personally, professionally, is that that's how the most growth comes from those experiences. And um, just as I'm excited by the way that we're paying more attention to mental health and talking about it openly, I'm really excited that you and the Dougie Center are helping us think about grief and as something that, you know, is inevitable but but workable. And thank thank you so much for that.
Well, and thank you everyone out there for tuning in today. I will put all of the things that Drew mentioned in our show notes. So please check out his website, his Instagram, his Facebook. There are some amazingly inspiring photos of food that I one day hope to be able to recreate. If you'd like to listen to earlier episodes of our podcast, please find us at dougy.org or in iTunes or in any podcast platform that you use. If you check us out on iTunes, please give us a rating and a review as it'll help other people find us um, and spread the word about the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Hope you'll tune in next time. Thanks for listening.